It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. We're joined by literally a handful of people via the Zoom here for another one of our Zoom discussions. Um, before we get into the topic, which is which is QRS, brought to us by Mrs. Deborah Thurber a while back, it's been on the agenda for a while. I got to talk about something. Um, it's so it's it's uh, fall conference season, right, Lisa Murphy? Sure. Okay. So I've and and a lot of uh, conferences are still happening online. And over the last couple of weeks, I've had this experience that online conferences are still running a schedule as if they were an in-person conference with multiple breakout sessions going on at the same time, um, which means that they're often paying multiple presenters to be presenting at the same time and limiting access to those presenters because those sessions are all going on at the same time. So since these sessions are, or these conferences are taking place online, a two-day conference could be a week-long conference and have sessions every evening or every afternoon so that people could decide to go to whatever sessions they want to instead of having things they might want to go to happening uh, at the at the same time. And it seems kind of kind of awkward. I know people have a hard time breaking up with the way they're used to doing things, but th- this the platform allows us to use time differently. I, I did one uh, a, a couple of weeks back where I did this same session two days in a row because that's the way that's the way they scheduled it. Now for me, that's fine because they paid me to do the same session twice in a row, but they could have had me do different sessions. And then if they did the session, uh, anyway, I'm ranting. Any thoughts, Lisa Murphy or anybody else on that? Or is it just me? Well- I think I think we started talking about this even early last year, not not right away, like springtime, but maybe in summertime where I think you and I both had a couple conversations about how, you know, is this an opportunity for us to break up with that model, which I realize is scary and it's different and maybe you don't know the rules of the new game. Um, But I have found that I've been encouraging people to break up with it a little bit for that exact same reason. Like, let's do a series, you know, bring, bring all of these people that you want your people to listen to and give them an opportunity to listen to them a couple times with various topics and get more bang for, for your buck. Um, I, I recall a couple months ago, there was a group that had booked me just for the whole day, like maybe what they traditionally would have done on a Saturday, all in person at a convention center, which was awesome. And I am very appreciative of that. And they were like, okay, then we have to do a 45 minute break. And then we have to take a a 90 minute lunch break. And then, and I'm like, you know what, can I time out? No, you don't, you don't. They're going to be eating while I'm talking. 
They're going to be in their pajamas. You do not need to follow that same kind of conference agenda in order to still provide quality content. And I know through the last, you know, 18 months now, I've been a lot more comfortable in encouraging people to, to break up with that kind of locked and loaded on, well, this is the way we've yeah. always done it. Yeah. Yeah. But you, like you said, I mean, it takes time to, to build those things. So maybe, and, cause I think more online stuff is just going to stick with us and I think we'll get, we'll get better at scheduling it and arranging it. The other thing I noticed the other day doing one of these is, is breaks can be a lot shorter because everybody can run to their own bathroom. Um, yeah. There's not that, that line where, uh, where, where the 400 women in the room have to share the, uh, the two stalls and maybe take over the men's bathroom so that uh, I 100%. have to walk half a mile away to the gas station. Um, but, but so, you know, that's what, of the benefits too. Everybody, everybody gets to, uh, to, to pee in comfort between sessions. So I guess that's good. And wear uh, what they want. I mean, this is a whole workshop. I really do believe that to some degree, maybe not everybody, but I really do believe that a lot of Zoom participants actually have received the content in a more open frame of mind because they are in a, a familiar environment. They got their cat, they got their dog, you know, they're on mute, but they hear their family and I'm able to, you know, be present and receive. I'm not stressed from driving 90 minutes or, or being uncomfortable because I took a plane ride for the first time in my life ever. And I really do think there is, I don't know, room, room to potentially make an argument, not that I need to, that, that the content that we've been delivering via Zoom for some people, not everybody, has been better received and potentially then better better processed. Well, yeah, I mean, because because learning is dependent on on your frame of mind, and if you are in your comfy place when that that learning is going on or that that opportunity for it is going on, of, of course you're going to be maybe more receptive to it. Um, but let's talk about our real topic. Oh, by the way, another another great thing that has happened uh, just the, just the other day, uh, somebody sent me a, a little, you know, the little the, the stuff you know that they hand out to trainers afterwards. You know, that's the stuff. So they sent me some stuff. You know, they give like you the little chocolate, gift like the, like stuff. the swag bag stuff. Yeah, yeah, that okay. kind of stuff. So they, they mail me a box of stuff. But because oh. the dogs have been walking around on Zoom behind me, sent me puppy treats, special oh. special frosting treats for the dogs. So that was that was delightful. Um, so I'm gonna put the, that in my rider that Kane Kane is supposed to get some post uh, Zoom gig. Yeah, just so he'll, just so he'll yeah. lay still and be a good dog. Um, so let's get into our topic: QRS quality rating systems. This this topic brought to you mostly by Deborah Thurber, um, but some other people have mentioned it's something they wanted to talk about. Um, I'm just going to throw the gates wide open and say, uh, Deborah, what do you want to talk about? Um, a little backstory sure. is my state, when they decided to bring this on, they had this big panel of childcare providers. I was asked to go. So I put my two cents in. And then it seemed to be like within weeks, they had the whole program released and nothing, uh. nothing that we put our thoughts into was a part of it. So I think they just did that just to say that they did it. Check right. Yeah. So as I started going through the program, I noticed that of course, they want some pilot ones. I choose chose not to participate in the pilot because they were just kind of dangling money out there for people. Like, if you do this, we'll give you some money and, you know, you'll get $2,000 was, I think, what family home providers got. But we have to tell you what you have to buy with it. Yeah. So I'm like, and then, so that kind of put 
you know, because we're underpaid, obviously. So that put it out there for family home providers to say, hey, I can get some extra money. I can up my program. But you have to up the program per their specifications, not what the kids want and need. It's what they wanted. And it kind of bred competition. Kind of like, well, I got a two. What'd you get? I got a three. So there, that competition bothered me as well. And it just, I think it just fed to a natural person's competition. They like to be competitive. So they just kind of jumped on that bag wagon. So then, well, I'm the president of the local daycare association in this area. So I had some providers reach out to me and say that now they're kind of having some disciplinary issues. And so I came in, I kind of observed what was going on and they only had like, that is a huge tub of Legos, Duplos, but only two children playing. And then one child wanted to come over and play. And they said, no, no, you can't play because we can only have two people playing at a time. I'm like, what rule is that? Because that's not part of the rules. And they were saying, well, that's what the QRS says. We can only have so many people per station. And I'm like, well, then I wouldn't get marked. We'll lose points if we have too many kids there. So just that point system and the provider trying to check those boxes off and not you know, doing what the children need. So I'm thinking, what if we put those papers down and stop checking the boxes for them? What would happen to QRS? We started really putting the children first. I have a quick clarification question. Um, first of all, what tool were they using in your state? And are you comfortable saying what state you're in just as a point of reference? Yeah, the tool... I'm not sure. I think it's all of them. Is it Fedkers, the Family Child Care Environmental Rating Scale? I think it's all of them because they talk about Eckers and and they had all this stuff and you had to take certain classes and read this little checkbox. I think they created their own using all of them is what I see. So, of course, I wouldn't sign up for the class so I couldn't get the document. Yeah, you don't get it unless you sign this piece of paper. So they wouldn't let me in, which is- So you had to agree to be a part of it before you essentially knew what you were signing up to be a part of? Yes. That's totally just dangling that money incentive in front of somebody. Then you don't realize what you're compromising. I wonder how many people signed up, then saw the document and then said, I'm out. See you. They won't give me that information. I can't get that information. But I think there's some. Some chose not to participate afterwards. Because there's no else? free lunch. Sorry, Jack. There's oh, no free lunch. I was just going to say, anybody else have any, anything to jump in? Carol, I saw you making some very interesting and fun faces while, uh, while uh, Debbie was talking. Yet any, anybody else have any thoughts they want to jump in with? I, I probably don't have a real intelligent thought right now, but I've been watching like the Scientology documentary and I'm like, this is some Scientology stuff right here. <laughs> like, you can't know until you pay the money and sign the thing and then we'll tell you. It's just... Oh, it's creepy. <laughs> Look, I I have a lot of 
ranting I could do about QRS. Uh, first, over the years, I've had plenty of QRS programs pay me to show up in person or online and talk about the stuff we talk about on this podcast, real play and child-led activities and, and all of all of the stuff that Lisa and I have ranted and raved about for nigh on a decade now on this show. And, and so there does seem to be some interest in in real play as we would kind of define it going back and listening to the the previous episode of the show and and i'll have people but i'll have people at the end of those sessions come up and say jeff nice night i mean sure i'm on board but qrs won't let us let us do that and i'm like qrs just paid me to to come here and talk to you about doing this and so i think there's there's some disconnect in some places about what they're expecting and and how they're conveying that message but then on on another level I'm, I'm, I, I see programs like quality rating systems as, as just another wall between caregivers and their families, another layer of bureaucracy, another, another thing to separate caregivers from being present in the moment with children and, and more governmental bloat in a lot of cases than I fundamentally personally want to be involved in. And I'm so- going to interrupt you and circle back to our episodes with Mimi Shenfield when she talked about anything that makes us lose our spot anything that takes our eyes and and attention off of the children and the caregiving piece of it needs to have, needs to require some level of investigation um, before we keep going down that path. Because I agree, it is potentially a barrier because we get more distracted by checking the box off than actually providing care. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna assume that these programs are put into place with good intentions, although I, I can't prove that. Um, I'm guessing some states have implemented them because the state next door did and they felt they would be behind if they didn't. And I'm guessing that some have been implemented because there is funding available. And so, well, if we don't implement this, we're not going to get that funding. Um, and so we want the funding. So we'll implement a program. And I mean, Debbie mentioned that that it, it seems like they had everything prepackaged when they put it out to public uh, public comment. And I've, I've, I've heard, I, I know where Debbie is and I've heard that in other states. And even to the extent of almost cutting and copying and pasting what other states are doing and, and, and trying to implement that without any real, real thoughtfulness about what their individual state may be, may be needing. And, and then I think the other piece of it we can unpack a little bit if you want to is, um, look, these, these systems have been in place in some, sta- some states for going on a decade or more. Yeah. Have they have they actually shown that they have improved quality? Because um, I, I don't know. Um, any does anybody know? Well, my concern has always been, and I've said this a thousand times on the podcast, is that a lot of those secondary and tertiary alignment systems have become ceilings instead of baselines. If it is a baseline for us to like, you know, I've I, and I've written about this in books and in articles. You know, if if at the end of the day, what's in Fedkers and Edgars and in Itters is is like new to you, then thank God that document exists because it allows you to realize what is the very, very, very minimal baseline. 
I used to get frustrated when people would come up at a gig and be like, well, we're aligned with Eckers. We can't do that. And I'm like, if there's actually anything in Eckers, now granted, full disclosure, I'm talking about that first edition. I realize it is now in its third rendition. So, and full disclosure, again, cards on the table, transparency. I haven't read the third one yet, but the first one was written in such a way that if you weren't already doing that, I'm glad somebody is telling you that you should quote unquote, be aligned with something like that, because at the bare minimum, that should be happening. What I've learned through the years is that if people kind of went into it, knowing what they were doing, this was again, baseline. And, and I think in, in a lot of situations, they've become, as I've said, a ceiling. So we think, okay, we got a five, we're good. You know, we don't need to keep growing. We got a five, we got a five, meh. Yeah. And, and I just, I worry about that checkbox mentality and the competition that you've said. And Deb, what you said very, very eloquently too, is that, that, that choosing to potentially get a two, like if I choose to be aligned with it, all well and good, but then there are going to be some elements of that rating scale where I, because of my grounding and play-based best practice, you know, I might choose to have beans and rice in my sensory tub and I can give you 10 reasons why I choose to do that. So if you want to give me a two because of it, you know, knock your bad self out, but it's not like you gave me a two. It's that I was well aware of the fact that I was choosing and, and receive it too. And it would seem to be a more honest scoring system if the scoring actually took that into consideration. Uh, this this program chose this score because here's what they're doing instead, and and here's their philosophy instead of just branding them with that with that score. Um, because because the people that are looking at those numbers are or those the number of stars. I mean, really, stars? Couldn't we come up with? I mean, something, I mean, stars, uh, it just seems so blasé. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, but, you know, hold on, Jeff. That was kind of a casual comment. But if you think about it, you know, our culture kind of, when we think about stuff is five-star, five-star, everything's five. That's a five-star restaurant. That's a five-star hotel. So anything that gets away from the five, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, at first glance, send a message that this is subpar, that this could be better when really the, the, the program that's getting a two consistently could very well be the best, most developmentally appropriate play-based program in the community. Sure. But who has that kind of time to walk a, you know, a parent through, through that? Sometimes they're just like on Yelp, oh, only two stars, I'm not gonna eat there. Yeah. And you move on to what's next and it might not be the best. Yeah, it starts this this whole competition among programs that are already often fairly competitive anyway, because, uh, I mean, in some communities, the family child care programs are commuting, competing with the centers and the centers are competing with the, the other center down the street. And and it's, it's really hard to to build community among programs a lot of the time. And this seems to be just another roadblock to making that happen. And then if you find yourself either unintentionally or intentionally at the at the low end of the scale that that kind of ostracizes you to some extent from from the rest of the early learning community i would think um and and that doesn't seem really productive and and then i guess also 
who the fuck knows what quality is in early learning and whether their little checklist can can effectively define that because most of these programs are doing a really crappy job at reliability and validity testing because they they don't want to spend the $50,000 plus that's going to take to do that and do it on a regular basis to make sure their tools are being used appropriately. What do you got, Debbie? I've been ranting for too long. <laughs> yeah, because what they did is they're trying to force childcare providers. It's the same program for in-home as it is the center. So they're oh. trying to make us cookie cutter. Uh, the exact same. They just now, since QRS, rewrote all of our rules. And now the rules are the same for family, home, and centers with a little bit changes, but it's the same, but they're making us cookie cutters places. And then they linked the QRS to the state pay program. So if I wanna take a child that the state, they're low income and their state's gonna pay, then they linked it to the state pay to say, well, you have to be a part of the early achievers program because that way we know your quality. So then the state pay is going to a quality place, but then the state pays less than my personal pay. So you want me to do all of this work? For less you get paid money. less. Like it, it doesn't, doesn't it didn't make you. sense to me. So I'm like, I'm out. I can't. And that's why I tell the parent, I tell providers, I'm like, you want to do all of this? and then get paid less. And they're kind of have a light bulb moment. Yeah, it doesn't seem um, to make a lot of sense. Anybody else have any thoughts they want to jump in with? Uh, I have a question. Okay. Um, uh, where I'm at now, I, I left my center and um, some colleagues of mine are honestly looking into starting our own thing. Like if nobody's doing it right, you gotta, if not us, who? So, you know, I'm trying to go about it logically and. Um, the quality rating system, um, I'm in Pennsylvania, so we have something called Keystone Stars, mm -hmm. which, you know, in talking to people from different centers, like what kids there for maybe seeing some of them, I'm looking at the stars and be like, I wouldn't give it that many stars. Like there's <laughs> like, and then to find out, oh, it's well, how many teachers have a degree? How many teachers have this? So I'm wondering if anyone has experience or could tell me, um, it seems like maybe like the public sector, sector one, um, seems to be not so hot but in Pennsylvania they'll allow us to if we are accredited by like a private approved place so if we're NACI accredited then we could kind of go around Pennsylvania stuff but I don't know like are the private ones like NACI and I know like NACI's the end-all be-all but like are they any better like with that accreditation like do I want to pay that extra money and go that extra route if it's gonna be that's I had a feeling that I was like you know what these people might know but that's what it seemed like to me like maybe that would be possible but maybe not good I think it depends on how many hoops you want to jump through what your ultimate goals and objectives are and uh Jennifer I know you want to jump in here I want to circle this back to Tom Bedard's comment that I've said a couple times lately a lot of times lately is that we have to identify our values before we reflect on our practice so if in fact my practice is going to be elevated or made better or come back to center and being more developmentally appropriate because I choose to value what is inherent to a rating scale or a QRS system, you know, then, then okay. But, but I think 
I think the piece that sometimes is missing is that we'll, we'll jump through the hoop. We get intrigued by that carrot, you know, ooh, a little bit more money. But at the end of the day, what is that money really costing you? You know, so yeah, you get two grand, but now you're not letting the four kids play at the freaking Lego table when real, like last week, this was able to happen fine. You know, so is it, there's always going to be a, a, a trade-off. So that to me is always my initial comment is come back to your value system and then decide, is this something that fits in that? Or am I going to now have to be, you know, deviating from my stated values? Well, I mean, but Lisa, you know, all the research about block play where, where if more than two kids play with blocks at the same time, the, the learning experience deteriorates drastically, right? Oh yeah. That's exactly what the research says. Oh, I, I, or, or, or maybe there's no such thing. Jennifer, what do you got? I, I think my issue with the rating system is, is that they come in for three hours and that three hours is the time that they're evaluating you. And I had a, because of COVID, they were doing practice assessments last year and they came in and I got dinged on some things because we didn't do it in the morning when they were there. But I knew my kids, like the arts and the writing and stuff, that's what they did after nap. When they got to school last year, all they wanted to do was get into the play and the blocks and the animals and the Legos and the building. They didn't want to do anything with art. And so it's kind of like, it's not, you know, a snapshot is not really a snapshot in my eyes. And Lisa, you were saying the stress and the hoops that you have to jump through. But we're getting ready to start, uh, have the assessors come pretty soon, sometime between now and mid-October. <laughs> Everybody at school is running around stressed. Like, oh my gosh, do I have to this? What do I have to do? Running back to their Eckers book and making sure they have at least the minimum. Yeah, it's like just go with the flow. And all of that stress so impacts then the care that we're able to provide. And to go back to Mimi, it's taking our eyes off the spot. And that's why we're falling down constantly because somewhere along the way, we drank the Kool-Aid of thinking that five identifiable interest areas is somehow more important than me knowing and understanding the idiosyncrasies that these children bring to the table. And, and, and I think there's room, Jennifer, in that, that, that sometimes the evaluators, not always, because I, I don't want to sound like I'm throwing them all as a, you know, as a whole under the bus, but I do believe that some evaluators were maybe inconsistently trained, you know, and so so our, our evaluators could be a little inconsistent with their interpretation. Right. Um, I like to think that if, you know, you just happen to not see what I know happens here really every day, you know, I like to think there's room for us to have some conversation about it. Um, and, you know, if at the end of the day, that means that you got to ding me because you didn't see it. To me, that's a reflection on their lack of understanding of child development and the true process of providing child care, as opposed to a reflection on my practice Correct. and my program. I, I mean, there are there are some been flying around in here. I don't know what it was. Just got a mosquito. Uh, mosquito. There, there, there are some wonderful people working for these programs. And then there are some warm bodies. I mean, just like like every other damn place like you every can other work. job in the world. Yeah. And and so I, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to feel like we're 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 just talking shit about QRS for the whole episode. I mean, I mean, that's kind of what I feel like doing to, to some extent, because even when it comes to quality, I'm not sure if we're if quality is well-being of young children and and preparatory 
practices for getting them ready for, for school, those kind of things. I think the research is pretty clear that the most effective thing states could do is make sure that they had a lot of well-paying jobs so so families could could be well employed and and be earners because kids who are in i mean poverty is one of the biggest things that 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 hinders learning and so if we really if we were really concerned we wouldn't be spending our time worrying about how many kids were playing with the duplos would be creating a robust economy where where parents had lots of job options and lots of choices and could earn earn a living and 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 that kind of raises all boats when it comes to to learning and education because that also broadens their choices um and it also leads to to bigger family incomes which means that uh and, and more employed families which means programs could charge more for the services they're providing and improve their program and so really focusing on on economic issues in in states would probably have a, a larger impact on on quality of early childhood than than these jump through the hoop kind of programs and that's just my ranting and ravings but i see a couple heads nodding well you know you think about even, even just the stuff that might sound kind of silly, but how much did it cost to print up all of those books? You know, how much did it cost to pay all of those, you know, evaluators to go out? And how much did it cost to do this and that and the other thing? And, and how much money are people spending in order to have, uh, sorry, I'm locked on it right now, the five identifiable interest areas. You know, how much did it cost to do all of that when really if perhaps we, you know, looked at that amount of money being spent to keep the rating scale system going, what if we somehow found a way to put that back into the community, just as Jeff said, um, and maybe things would balance out to where we didn't need that. The other thing that would happen there, I think Jeff is a ripple to that, to everything you just said, is that then our profession would be more inclined to attract people who should be here in the first place. And we're not right. having to create regulations that dumb it down to the lowest common denominator, which, which I think is what a lot of people struggle with. You know, we let anybody do the job, so we have to micromanage and over-regulate because that's who's being right now attracted to the profession. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Deb, you mentioned that uh, you, you couldn't look at the rule book unless you unless you signed up. And I've I've had experiences like that, too. There have been uh, look, I'm really down on the state of Minnesota and the state of their uh, child care bureaucracy. Um, so I'll use them an example. I did a gig uh, years ago for their I think it was parents aware and they were just, just they were just rolling it out and uh they asked me not to, they, they, they made sure, Jeff, you can't, don't, don't talk, don't talk don't, about it. Don't talk crap about it. Don't ask questions. And I mean, literally they asked me to do this and I'm like, it's not my, it's not my job to show up and, and, and talk crap about things. And the state of Minnesota, a, a few years back, Lisa Murphy, um, our, our recently departed buddy, Dan Hodgins and I did a live event in Minnesota and we were going through the process of, of getting the, the, the event approved so we could give out certificates and they wanted us to, to sign a document saying that we wouldn't talk bad about the state licensing program or QRS or parent aware, whatever it was. And, and so of course we didn't check that box. Now we weren't going in intentionally planning on it, but if, if it comes up, we want I'm to not gonna have, be like, I'm have sorry, honest I'm conversations. And, yeah. and so we let everybody know, Hey, we can't give you certificates for this because of this reason. And everybody showed up anyway. Um, but, but that kind of, that kind of, um, 
secretiveness, I mean, if, if they can't have a willing, open and honest out in the open conversation about things and they're they're so fragile that they can't take a couple hard questions or a little bit of criticism, it, it really makes me question the the foundation which some of the programs are, are built on, huh? And the intention behind them. Sure, sure. This is turning into a long episode. Anybody else have anything they want to throw in here? I'll just want to say one more thing is I know there's some child care providers that were forced into it. How? Because because they um, were in a certain area of town that that's all the clientele they had was the state pay children. That's all they could get. They couldn't get the personal pay. So I feel that they were forced into that system or they just can't have state pay children anymore. So they would go out of business. Yeah. So I want to... You know, that's, that's a valid point. See, I understand that. And I'm not that kind of your, just, your hands were tied, so to speak. So I'm like, can we just put down the check boxes yeah. and then what are they going to do to us? Carol, what do you got? I wasn't going to say anything because I feel it's like a rabbit hole, but I feel like what Debbie is saying is it comes down to that play equity again. Like mm-hmm. these kids only option is to go into these centers where they have to hit all those check boxes and what they're missing is what they really need. And I mean, it goes up the scale too. You see the kids who are most labeled most at risk. um, They think that the answer is to do more sooner, academically speaking with them. So then these kids are getting less of what they need when they're younger to try and get them to quote unquote, catch up, you know, so they're not behind like they should statistically be, but it's, it's kind of perpetuating the problem where you, then you have these kids that since they weren't allowed to play and do these things they need to, then they're so emotionally unregulated when they could have taken that opportunity, you know, to become like solid kids and like solid and like just feeling good about themselves to go into the academic sector. Now they're kind of all over the place because it was shoved down there sooner. And I feel like that's what's happening with these kids is those parents can only afford these centers that have to go by the, you know, the whatever rating system. And that's, it's just almost causing the problem or at least at the very least adding to it. Yeah. I have seen a few, I know you want to wrap this up, Jeff. I have seen in the last maybe year, a little bit, it's, it's like pendulums all over the country. And that, that's a, that's a, a byproduct of it not being consistent throughout with 50 states having 50 things and districts having different things. But I've seen a couple of states actually start reducing their expectation of QRS uh, alignment because of the conversation of self-regulation and executive function skills, Carol, which kind of leads a little bit into what you were talking about. And so it's like, you have these, these states right now who are just embracing a QRS system for the first time since whenever. And then you have other states who've been on the bandwagon for the last eight years going, you know what, didn't really have the impact that we thought, time to get rid of it. And so depending on literally where you live is going to determine like where what the bandwagon, where, what road the bandwagon is on. And and I think Carol, to, to what you said, the children are the people who end up suffering from the fact that, you know, as a culture, as policymakers, we just really can't make up our mind 
I mean, we got to try stuff, right? And I mean, maybe maybe it's a QRS program, maybe it's a smart board in the preschool classroom, maybe it's iPads for all the third graders, uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, uh, emotion cushions for circle time, so you can sit on your feelings. Uh, whatever it is, we got to we got to try stuff. When when in fact, if we if we uh, if we actually look back, we, we kind of know what works in early learning. It, 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 I mean, we've known for, for a fairly long time that child-led, self-directed, real play is the way of, of, a vast majority of children happily engage in building the skills and knowledge they need to survive and thrive in the world, except it seems too simple. We can't hire consultants for that. And, it doesn't and, make anybody money. Yeah, It doesn't make yeah. anybody money. That is ultimately what it comes back to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember Peter Gray used to talk about, and he probably still does, but um, Peter Gray um, mentioned that, that I'm, I'm being hesitant with my language because I don't want to say, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it in, in post if we need to. But he talked about how as a system, as a model, how Germany looked to the American like bigger, better, faster now, hurry up, get them ready model that we started implementing in the 80s and 90s. And really what happened is that they copied us because we're like American. And then within a year, their test scores plummeted. Like it completely had the opposite effect of what they thought was gonna happen. And the difference is, is that although we still keep trying to fold it and mutilate it into working, Germany along with other countries have been like, you know what? That didn't work. That did not have what we, that, that didn't have the result that we were expecting. So instead of trying to make it work, we're going to back, go back to what we know was actually working. Instead of being distracted and seduced by the big, bright, shiny new thing that's in the room, we're, we're gonna you know go back to what we know. Yeah, yeah. So wrap it up. Um... QRS, some good intentions, uh, problems are always in the implementation, and it's probably hopeful to see that some states are, are maybe looking at pulling back a little bit and, and learning from, from the experience. And now they'll probably move on to something equally as shitty, um, but you know, what are you gonna do about it? Um, oh, we gotta do one more thing before we wrap up. Carol, how big is your mug? Listeners, you're not gonna be able to see this in the podcast, but Carol's been drinking out of this- I was thinking this, the same thing. Carol's been drinking out of this mug every time she takes a sip, her whole it's face like, disappears wow. behind it. Um, I don't know if it's just the angle of the camera. It's a huge mug, right? This is the biggest one I own. I usually have slightly smaller ones, but I I just grabbed this one. So it, how much vodka can you that. fit in there? Um, I don't know. I have one of those ninja coffee makers and it fit half a carafe in it. Oh, that's uh that's a lot of vodka. This has been the Childcare <laughs> Bar and Grill Podcast. Back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.